if your opponent is making a mistake, don't interrupt them. Don't interrupt them. Let them keep going and firing these executives. Let them fire their recruiters. Let them go stop their marketing. And you know what you got to do? You got to bet. You got to bet. And so for me, because we've gone through this, because I've gone and done the research of all these other things that have gone on, I'm all in. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegi, and I'm interrupting myself to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time, and when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. There's a lot of superstars out there that use Follow Up Boss. What's your favorite CRM? We're using Follow Up Boss. We use Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. I love Follow Up Boss. I love it. We have action plans now for bringing on new agents. We have action plans for our recruiting. Uh, we call them action plans and follow-up boss, which will trigger tasks for the agents to do as far as calling. Follow-up boss, I like more for the integrations with everything, MailChimp, call action, all those different products. I will say we used Sync and we switched from Sync to follow-up boss. Honestly, the greatest CRM I've ever used, I've used Brivity Sync. I've looked at Boomtown like Real Geeks, just a bunch of different ones. But me personally, I've fell in love with Fub about like seven months ago when I first started using it. I've used Boomtown. I've used Line Desk. I've used Conversion. And I think Follow Up also gives you the most integrations mm-hmm. that are simple. And it gives you the best ability to go and integrate large things into one single solitary platform. Yet at the same time, it's still affordable. I do like Follow Up Boss better just because it you can text from the app and things like that. It's just a little more convenient for me. Um, it tracks everything that I need. I can customize it if I want. If I want to go smart list based, that's fine. If I want to go task based, it's fine. I think it's one of the best systems and it's very user friendly. It just really helps me never drop a ball because it's so user friendly. I don't have a one horse in the race with Follow Up Boss. Purely objective. Follow-Up Boss has been the best one that we've found. Now, I've used Follow-Up Boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial, and check it out, especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet. This will be a great one for you to start with. Thanks again. Now back to our show. Hey, everybody. Stephanie Brackett here with Real Estate Rockstars coming to you with Ryan Finch today, who's the CEO of First Class Real Estate, and you guys are a brokerage across 18 states, correct? Yeah, that's right. How many agents do you guys have under your umbrella? Uh, We're at almost 1,200 right now. Wow. Wow. That is awesome. So tell me a little bit about your business. What is the business model and um, how does it look to an agent? 
Uh, yeah, so we set up uh, really two different models that run nationwide. We just uh, we, we figured that people are going to fall into kind of two different categories. You either want all the commission, so we have a 100% commission model, and so then they just pay a transaction fee to the brokerage. Uh, we provide all the technology to them essentially to pass through. So they can run the brokerage and then pass through the agent and give them 100% commission. And then we have uh, what we call a partner model. And we used to call it a team, right? Like, But I just feel like teams like gone away and we changed this a while ago but and that's why we used to call the 100 model um it's entrepreneur models what we call it but it was called independent but independent seemed isolated and team seemed like it was not you know uh it wasn't conducive it's like it, they didn't have their own identity but as a partner we provide leads you know or business or closing coordination or all that stuff for them and so we're partnering right the franchisees putting up the money and the agents doing the work and then they're partnering on it splitting the commission and then the 100 or the entrepreneur model they can do their own thing work from home do whatever they want they can build a team and they really essentially don't have to run the brokerage they can just essentially be on the on you know in the sales and which a lot of people like to do very cool mm-hmm. so what is your number one source for leads as you guys are doing this model, what's your lead source? You know, you know, it's funny because the way it's set up and it, it almost seems weird to people, but the, what I run is the technology and the business side. So we have what we call the resource center. So that's all the support staff to the real estate office. So the real estate office only really needs two people, one branch operations admin and one, you know, facilitator, whether that's a broker owner or manager or whatever it is, because everything else is run here. So I really run and manage all of that. Then what happens is we have all of those because we're at like 79 offices, but all of those people then come together and they work on all the different lead sources of transferring out. So it can be Zillow, it can be Op City. Like we have a deal with Zillow right now where they're basically opening offices with us to plug Zillow in because we have a dashboard of a software. Like, and I, and it came from Bezos, but it's, we track everything. We see how many mortgage deals go to the mortgage company, our agents and franchisees on the mortgage company. We uh, see titles. So we track that. We can track conversion. So all of that stuff helps us report it. But more importantly for like a Zillow or uh, Op City or those, they want to see that we're converting their deals. And so we have those and they know that they're going to agents that are then converting because we can see what's going on and we're getting a high conversion rate and they're spending money to get that business and then turning around and, um, and then losing it on the back end, right? And so they found it as a huge value to us with that technology, but that's that's one of them. And, you know, I get it. Some people are like anti-Zillow and, you know, whatever. You don't have to do it. That's just one of the options. We'd rather make it where it's all in, encompassing and then people could do it or not do it. And then, um, you know, there's sold.com. There's, uh, we have KV Core. So all of our agents get KV Core included. So we can run that. We essentially went and got this big mass deal with KV Core because we have so many people to get the cost down to pass it all the way through. But then it also makes it where now new agents or other agents coming in, we have training for it. So then we can train on it. They get the website. It's the full version. So they get the website, they get the um, the lead capture and all that stuff goes in and then they can run their own pages and then we can automate it and run it through. And so anyway, just gives all of that um all that stuff set up. Yeah, you get better discounts in, in volume, right? That's, yeah. that's, that's so, but that savings passes all the way down. So now yeah. that now we can afford to give the agent at a at a low cost 
less than they would go get it on their own. And the franchisee has the ability to make a profit. And then we, uh, and then we can help. The biggest part of it is not even that. It's, it's the uh, engagement, the use. Because if everyone's on the same platform, then you can raise the bar of everybody across the country, right? Because now you're not training on five different systems. And now when they're, like I said, they're in a group, someone will say, hey, what's your squeeze page doing for leads? Or, hey, how are you running this? Or how are you optimizing this on Facebook? So they're all running the same play. So that's why. It's, it's similar to like a Burger King. They don't make different burgers at every place. So that way they can have the same training and the same thing. And so, you know, you can get into a tough spot when you're trying to build a business of trying to please everybody by doing it five different ways. But that really is tough to scale. And a lot of times people say that, uh, you know, like big and bad, like, oh, yeah, you can't scale that, this, that and the other. But then they they change it up. But really, you, you've got to hold to that and then share the vision and communicate why that's important to everybody as a whole. And everybody may not join in on that as well, but, um, but it matters to the masses when you're, when you're growing and they need that support. They have a question and you're on a different technology, you know, they, they, they don't get the support, so they don't get success. And, yeah. and it's really yeah. a matter of success. And that's really, you know, even what we were talking about before this started, that's really what we're going after is how much, sales volume can we get? How much commission goes through this company to our agent? Because if they're finding success and that commission's going through, I'm winning. That is, that's, that's the real sign of success. If, if that KV core is working right, if we're getting engagement, if they're getting deals, if these lead programs are working, if our franchisees are supported, all of that stuff going on. So that's a, uh, so you touched on conversions. How are you making sure you you said that, that, you know, you had a really good conversion rate. How are you ensuring that those leads are converting? What does that training look like for your agents to make yeah. sure that they can convert? You know, so have you heard of Craig Groeschel before? Uh-huh. You know he says you can have growth or you can have control, but you can't have both. Right. And so, and so that's always really stuck with me. And I know in the mindset of how it looks is people would think like I'm involved in all of that, all of that, that goes on, but really we have, uh, level five leaders, good to great level five leaders that are boots on the ground. And again, they run things all completely different to whatever it is they want. So, and we don't try and control it. And I think that empowers them to really drive doing that. So, which means we're not forcing them who's on and who's off. They want that because they want to win the game. And then they may want mortgage use or title use or whatever that is based on each office. And so, you got to imagine. With 80 offices, we have anything from people with 100 agents plus to offices that have five agents, right? And right. so, so they all may run a little bit differently. So, they, but they have the dashboard that's included for them, so they can see what's going on inside of any of it and track it. And then, then they come back to to us and, and usually to me in a conversation, and we talk about conversion and then making decisions, right? Because it's one of those things where they. You got an agent that's distracted doing something else. And if you take the leads away, you may lose them altogether. So really the goal is not to take the lead away, but to help refocus them back on conversion. There could be script training that has to go on with, with, with helping somebody. It could be they, they've broken down in the process. They're not getting the lead to the lender and getting approved. They're, maybe they're not following up. They're starting today and dropping off tomorrow, right? So there's all these numbers of ways that people they drop the ball and they lose it because that's just life. Life's going to come in. So these leaders know that they learn it. They're not emotional to, to just draw them back and going, Oh, it's mine. Let me take that away. Like we don't run a culture like that. We don't want it. I'm not saying somebody can't operate that way, but, but really we don't want that. And we guide them not to do that so we can build more people up and then they find more success. And then 
they own it, right? So that's the control. They'll lose some control because sometimes those franchisees want to go, oh, just get out of the way. I'll convert and leave myself, right? But that won't get us where we want to go. So they've got to give up some control and they develop as leaders. And that leadership really, I think, is 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 what leads to the results. And I don't want to paint some picture like it's all picture perfect. We have some markets where we're the number one in the market, right? And we have some that we're not. And that's just that's just it is what it is. And that's all public knowledge. I mean, any of those people in any market can go see that. So right, right. And and you touched on something that's super important. I think that a lot of people try and make decisions without data. Mm-hmm. And you have the data and that's that's what you're using to make your decisions. So you're not just flying by the cup and saying, well, I feel like that person's not doing a good job. It's like, I have the data and now right. I'm making a good decision based on data, actual yeah. data. When you're making the best decision you can, you know, and sometimes it's folding and sometimes it's doubling down on that person. And, you know, and you, you just got to know your player in the game and decide whether that's the, whether that's the right decision or not. And you got to be able to stick to your guns and go with it. And it's, and it's hard. And, you know, we, we usually like to give the benefit of the doubt and, and push forward because people usually want success, you know, and, and, and if you let them go, they're going to go somewhere else and find failure and failure and failure. You can help them find success. You, you'll build loyalty. So hundred percent. Definitely. So what failure have you had in your business that you look at today and you're like, wow, that was really a good learning experience. I mean, we're just going to open right up right now. You know, we're <laughs> pouring my heart out right now. I just tell everybody exactly what I've done wrong. Okay. Okay. Let's, here we go. All right. So uh, <laughs> the, the number one thing that I did wrong and I, and I stick this over and over. So it makes me almost passionate about it the other way. Right. And, and the bad part is, and I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, but you can't judge me. All right. So no judgment. All right. So th- that goes for everybody watching this. You can't judge me on this. All right. But, but I failed in finance. I failed because I didn't go to school for that. I don't have a college degree. I didn't know any of this stuff. I came out, I came through 2008. I came in in 2006 and 2008. I, you, I went to the Super Bowl in 2006. I mean, like you thought I won the lottery the way I spent money. And then 2008 comes and boom, I've got $50 in my bank account. My credit card is maxed out. I pulled lines of credit on my properties. I spent every, not only did I spend the money I made, I spent every dollar I had available in, in the market and then it goes tumbling down. So, so you'd think I'd learn my lesson, right? No big deal. It's, yeah, yeah, you learn your lesson. Never going to have that happen again. Great. No credit cards. You know, we're paying everything in cash and we're going to read Dave Ramsey and, you know, and, and all that stuff. And so that's good. I mean, that was, that was a failure and we, we, you know, we bounced back. And so, so then you fast forward and it's 2017 and everything's gone good. We've left a, a big, brand company opened our own 2013 everything's going well and we said oh let's go and expand let's go open an office here and let's go open an office there oh by the way let's go open another 12,000 square foot office let's go spend another half a million dollars on this technology we just talked about and let's go hire 32 employees and we haven't sold one franchise not one not one so remember the whole business that was going on had to sustain all of the money that we just spent so I mean, it was like, and then, ready? So that was 2017. So three years of spending half a million dollars more than we were making um, then to run into the COVID in 2020. And I went, okay, this is it. We literally went through all the things and said, all right, we're down to our last dollars. We're, you know, we've got a couple franchises. We, you know, we're, we're paying the bills at that point in time. But, um, you know, what are we going to do? Because everything's going to kind of shut down and we just spent all the money we should have had. And so, you know, there was, it was, again, I went through all the business money, like I did the personal money before. I went through all the business money. 
and I didn't stay and pay attention to the one thing. And this is, this is the one thing that is, that is probably the thing to take away from that uh, silly story, which is stay close to the numbers. You have to pay attention to your profit. If you stay in business and stay in profit, you don't go out of business. And so running over money, thinking it was coming later, coming, coming later, and then running into the buzzsaw of 2020, that could have been really bad because we weren't prepared for any of that. If that went bad, we were just doubling down, not knowing anything was going to come down the pipeline instead of being conservative, take money, make a profit, put money aside, and then reinvest some of it. You can reinvest some to growth slow and steady. So stay close to the numbers lead with profit. And that, that was the key to all of the mess ups to what I take away. That sounds probably too basic, too simple. I had someone telling me the same thing. Guess what I did? I didn't listen. Oh no, I got this. Oh no, I got this. I know I could see the future. I knew what was coming. Right? No, I didn't. Yeah. And it's funny. You, you say no judgment, but there's a million people out there. You, you think you're the only one mm-hmm. there's a million agents out there that are in the exact same position that you were in 2008. And again, in 2020, where they just, they, they weren't saving for a rainy day. They weren't, it, it's going to be like this forever, right? It's right, going right. to be 2021 forever. Buyers are just like, I just turn around and, oh, you want to buy a house? Great. I'll sell you a house. Oh, and all of a sudden, boom, interest rates go to five and a half, six percent and mm-hmm. buyers shut down. Everybody, you think that people would judge you? No, because they've all done the same thing. That's right. That's right. But the key is profit first. I said in the previous podcast that I was on, if you don't have profit, you don't have anything. You, you mm-hmm. see these teams brag about these massive numbers that they're right. doing, but they're running on 5% profit. And honestly, 5% right. profit, you're running on fumes. You're literally one bad month away from shutting the doors. And you owe taxes on that too. And, um, so, you know, and there, there's a lot, there's a lot to learn and in, in, in a lot of that with leverage and debt, because, you know, if you make a million dollars and, and then next year you owe 400,000 of that in taxes. So you really only made 600 of them, whatever you live off of. And so, you know, there's a way to kind of go get debt and grow with debt and then have the depreciation of whatever you purchased or done with debt. And so uh, with growth. And so there's, there's smart ways to do it, whereas you were going to be on tax side anyway. Um, but it's also a dance. And so you gotta, you gotta be real careful with that. What advice would you give people? You said, you know, hey, I didn't go to college for this. I'm not a business person. This isn't my background. You learned it in the school of hard knocks, mm-hmm. right? By living it. What, what advice would you give to people? Where should they go for help with finances so they don't have to do what you did and live through it? You know, it, it, it's an it's a interesting question because I, I was on a walk, a buddy of mine, we, we do walks every now and then, but he's a business guy. So we talk business on it, you know, whatever. He's like, you know, I'm thinking about sending my daughter to, I don't know what he said, Dartmouth or something like this. And I said, oh, why? He said, well, because they have an online business school you can do. And don't quote me. Maybe it wasn't Dartmouth. I can't remember exactly what he said. But anyway, whatever. It was one of these online business schools. I said, oh, what do they teach? He said, oh, you know, P&Ls, balance sheets, you know, running a business and all. I said, they have a school for that. Like I didn't, this is literally like in a year or so ago. Like I was like, I was like, I didn't even know you could go to school for that. Right. And so, so, but I say that with, with, uh, with the flip side of that, to answer that question is really, that's not the problem. It's not the school. It's not the education. It's not where to go. There's more than enough information out there. 
what happens is all the excuses that go on in our head. I'm too busy. I don't have time. I don't know how to do this. Right. And so people like uh, they, they would go in and they're running these franchises with me. And I'm like, Hey, let me see your PL. What's a PL? I'm like, Oh my gosh. So, so we added accounting in and that stuff, but that way I can monitor and coach them. Cause if you don't have a PL, you can't run off of, well, I don't know how to read a PL. And so they say, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to read a balance sheet and that stuff. And so then we would coach and lead them towards some of that, but some of them would go in and, and once you dig into it, you stop making excuses, and that's what they would do. They, I can't afford an accountant, right? I can't afford to pay an accounting. You can't afford not to because if you don't know your numbers, you have no idea what you're doing in business. So so they would go get it, and they go, I was $1,200 this month for my my car payment and insurance and gas and everything else. I was like, so that car's costing you $1,200 a month. That's $14,000 a year. And, and they start looking at it because poor people look at everything by the month, and rich people look at everything by the year. And so what you're trying to do is cut margins on each of those that will come down to each month, but you have to look at it and you've got to run it for a month, take last month and then compare it month over month. And then what you'll do is you'll take a year and then you'll compare it year over year and then make a budget. So it's not a one size fits all and you just go in and do it and boom, you're done. You have to do it, stay consistent, stay on it, and then follow through and follow up on each of these pieces. And that's technically the problem. They can go in and fix the PL and figure that out and do whatever it is. You don't need to go get uh, go get your license to become a CPA. You just need to stop making excuses and go in and look at the numbers and figure it out. And then you'll have the same decision. This is this is the hard part of all of it, but the same decision you have with that agent that wasn't converting leads. They're not converting leads. Do I cut them or do I coach them up? Right. And so, okay, well, you got this expense. Well, is it bringing me in new revenue or is it costing me money? And I think next month's going to be the month. The next month's going to be the month. The next month's going to be the month. And you keep on going. Right. So you get committed to those things and you've got to make decisions. And what will happen is you'll look backwards over the last 12 months and go, all right, this was a good decision. This was a bad decision. This was a good decision. This was a bad decision because it'll tell a tale. Either eventually it'll be, okay, you fired every agent. Great. Now you're doing deals. Is that exactly what you wanted? No, that's not what I want. Right. Or, Hey, I, I cut every lead source, but I don't have any deals getting done now. Right. And so I fired every employee because they were on my P and L. Well, great. Now you're doing all the work. Right. And I know those are basic, simple things. You're like, all right, that's just dumb. But there's those tricks all the way through the reporting of the numbers, what the CPA is going to do. You don't need to know how to do X's and O's and fill all that in. What you have to be able to do is report it and then make a decision, but you go, I have to have that data to make the decision. Your P&L, your reporting of your, your technologies, all of these things are indicators of what to do and what not to do. Yep. And then you've got to be able to make a decision and stick with the decision. You can't right. waver. Yep. You just can't waver. Decision. Michael Jordan said that once I make a decision, I don't change my mind. I'm done. Yep. Yep. So and A lot of people get afraid of the numbers and it's not, it's not rocket science. Numbers don't lie. First of all, they just don't. They always tell the truth. A number, a number doesn't lie. Two plus two is always four. It always is. And you have this much mo- money coming in and you've got this much money going out. It's, it's mm-hmm. that simple. Mm-hmm. And you got to decide, okay, if I've got less coming in than I've got going out, something's got to give. Got to yep. cut some yep. numbers. You got to fix it. And that's, that, that, that becomes the hard part. And that's, but that's the test. That's what I said over time. You got to find out, do you make those good decisions over and over? But I'll tell you, the world is a little wonky in the way that they market the things that are different than that, right? Because if you go out on the West Coast, which we're on East Coast, but if you go on the West Coast, there are people that are 
running companies that are in the negative. And then they're bringing angel investors in and this whole other thing. And that whole world's really messing up the people that are day-to-day building a business for profit, right? And so these other ones have the strategy. They know they're bringing in money and they're going to go through a burn rate of money to be able to get to it. And, and th- that's good. You can actually learn a lot from that because if you spent your profitable money that way, you can build momentum. And if you spent your money wrong, it goes to the negative. Well, you would have spent their money wrong too, right? And so, but in this case, they gave up equity to get somebody else's money. You can give up no equity and use all your own money and make good decisions. And then, and then you, you pass tests. I try and ask myself this question all the time. If I was the CEO of Apple, would I hire me to run the books and the finance and the marketing and the sales and all these other things that are going on? And some days it's yes, some days it's no, some days it's no, that's still way out of my league. And some days I'm like, yeah, I made a good decision today, you know, and I, and I, you know, I know it seems dumb, but it's like, man, I did good today. And there's, it's okay to like cheer yourself on like, hey, you know, that was a good decision and you build momentum on that. And, but I'm not saying that about me. I'm really saying that more for anybody that's watching that, that they've got to, they can't be indecisive over and over and over again because a result is going to come like they're, they're and that that honestly if they don't take anything away from that is we're in a state right now where everything is a little wonky it feels wonky so everyone's almost paralyzing themselves either whether it's in their mindset or whether in their decision making and i was thinking about this today um uh it's like a poker game if you're playing poker and it comes around to you you have three options you can check you can bet or you can fold, right? And that's it. That's what everyone's doing every day. And they're still hitting check. People are like, check, check, check. Well, eventually a year is going to go by and you can only check so long. Some people are betting. Meta is betting. They're betting on this virtual thing and you can see it. There's other companies we don't even know today are betting on something that they see in the future we can't. So if you look back at like the big short, right? Everybody kind of knows, oh, we bet on these securities and people think that's what's going to go. So they're going to bet on that again today. And like, no, that's not going to be. So again, you can check, but that guy bet. And now we hear the news about him. He, he Now he gets to speak into this economy because he bet on that, right? And so I want to be the one that bets. I want to be able to go look at the market, figure it out, bet. I can't afford to check and just let it all run out and dry out. I'm not willing to do it. And folding's not an option. I mean, you're, we're taking this thing all right. the way through to the end. And so, you know, that that's what we're going to do, but only because you can't win if you fold. If you fold, there is no chance. Whatever you have in is done. And if that becomes in your heart, and I know that we're talking, obviously, they're completely different when you're talking about a game and, and real life. And folding's not, if folding becomes not an option, then your brain psychologically has to go into solving a problem. You mentioned interest rates earlier. I'm getting rid of buy a building at under 5% interest rate right now. But I'm buying a commercial property at a lower interest rate than people are buying out there on the market for something else. And why do I say that? I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that to go, if you went to go explore other options, you would find. And I had to go through a bunch of banks to go figure it out. And I said, here's the value I'll bring. And this is, and this is what I'm looking for with this. And so that way I could put the deal together. The art of that deal, putting it together. If I put X amount of money in your bank, you're going to loan it back to me at 10 time multiplier for this. But I also want to put it in the line of credit so I can take other deposits to pay it down. So I have a certain amount on a fixed rate and a certain amount on variable. And I'll keep it down, which keeps my mortgage payment, which allows the business to cash flow based on money and deposit. I know that was a lot really fast, but that was, but, but that figured it out. You figured yeah, but out that, how to invest yeah. in this market. Yeah, but that will, yeah. So buying owner occupied, you're hedging against inflation, you get the depreciation against your taxes. So there's a lot of reasons it made sense to me. 
but it didn't with the interest rate being too high because that forced the payment, which impacts cash flow, right? And so, so that's what it is. But if you go find the right interest rate with the right uh, setup, then it, the real money will be in the interest rates you find. So not doing a deal is checking. Going and, and raising the, and betting is, I, I'm going to bet we're going to buy properties. We're going to buy. When everyone else is checking, we're going to keep buying because this is years that we're going to have. Everyone has to go to LIBOR and interest only stuff and then get upside down on lines of credit for values to go down for it to happen. And so we, it takes longer than you think. Even if you say, hey, this is going to happen, they're doing it emotionally based on what happened in the past, but it's not the same scenario. But anyway, I don't- I'll Not the same scenario. And yeah, that's just not, it. Yeah. It's not, but there are problems. Interest rate is a, is a challenge, right? And so we've got to overcome that. And so they've got to go find the lowest possible interest rate. But this, the p- bad part about this is, when this stuff happened back in 2007, the banks won because they got bailed out. Well, through all the rest that just happened, the banks lost. They, it cost them money to have your money on deposits. The M1s and M2s were all the deposits in the bank that they couldn't loan out because there was no interest rate. So now they get to win. The banks are going to get to win some, but you got to find the right ones to strategically work with because now they want to go park that money. Homes are made with these sales prices so they can park more money faster. Like that's the ideal for them. Yeah. And I heard you say a partnership. You're looking for a bank that wants a partnership Mm -hmm. with you. That's a give take. It's not Mm -hmm. just, hey, you lose and I win. It's a win for the board. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, You want somebody. Yeah. Because I've had banks that it it wasn't a partnership and and they they were trying to protect themselves so much that it wasn't in my favor anymore. And I said, all right, well, then we got to move on, even though everything was great. And one, that's disruption that's going on even in the banking industry. And so, you know, I can imagine somebody's coming to this, they sell 10, 20 houses a year, they're picking up this thing going, all right, you're just talking about stuff that really isn't relevant to me. And and I would say, I would challenge them to rethink that of planning for the future, because whatever they set up is going to dictate how fast and how, how much the future is going to be different for them. So it's relevant to everybody, even though, unfortunately for me, I wasn't thinking and operating that way at that level either. And my hope is they're watching this going, okay, I'm seeing someone, maybe a couple stoplights ahead of me that's looking at this. If it's important to them, maybe it should be important to me, even though I don't want to do P&Ls and I don't have a P&L because I don't have any business. Who cares about P&L? I can't afford to go do that, right? And so you have the P&L, you also have your time allocation. So if their time allocation is not going well, then then that's why they don't have a P&L situation, right? And so, and if they're checking, instead of finding ways to raise the raise, which means investing their time into something more valuable, you know, to give them a return. These are all, I'm trying to really encompass all of these things to application for them. So. Okay. So if you could go back to 2006 as a rookie agent, not on the financial side, but on the business side, as in like the lead generation and just selling real estate, what advice would you give yourself as a rookie agent if you could start all over again in 2006? All right. So it's 2006, but it's today, right? So, yeah. so you see what I mean? Cause it's different 2006 than it is today because, cause what I would do today, I would, I, I mean, there's so many different variables. If I'm brand new, just starting out, I'm going to go find a place that has leads. I, I like the ideas of a Zillow or op cities or Ojo's or things like that, that are, that are passing out leads that are taking a percentage. I, I like that. I'd probably go if I could, to some type of 100% brokerage that could give me a value. They could give me a value of training, how to run this stuff, give me the technologies, all the things I don't have at ancillary, I'm going to pay them as I pay the brokerage. I'm getting a value from the brokerage, whether that's the broker, the technology, something like that, I would get that. And then I would go get one of these outsourced type 
companies that passes me free leads. So now my P&L doesn't have an expense, right? I only have an expense when I have an income because I'm just starting out. Once I make some money, then I'll be able to turn the tables on that. But for today, that's what I would do. And I would also be working on something, something with a banking relationship to really get cutting edge to be different than everyone else. And I don't know what that would be uh, specifically today because it's not something I work on daily, but um, I would I would find something that could make me cutting edge, whether it was low interest rates, 100% financing, whether it was hedge funds that were investing for them. I don't, there's so many different options of whatever it would be. And I would also really try to tap in with that banking situation with investors, because I think investors are going to buy properties, even though they feel like everyone's going to kind of slow it down. I think that by it not being overly saturated, we're going to start to see opportunities popping up for investors to do that. And they could really start running what's called the Burr model. Are you familiar with that? Uh-uh. No. Buy, rehab, uh, refinance, rent, and repeat. All right. So that's where okay. you buy the property for a two hundred thousand for like one twenty, and then you rehab it, right? And it costs you thirty grand. Then you'll pull out one fifty in a refinance. So you put money in your pocket, and then you rent it out. And now that person's paying off your your property and you have all your money back plus some. So by buying property, that's where that line comes. You don't make money when you sell, you make money when you buy. So you can buy and the bank will loan you the money. But the reason that's important is because I would go get with the bank that would say, hey, when I go buy these properties, I don't want 6% interest rate. I want a line of credit with a ceiling or I want I want $500,000 line of credit that's going to be at X rate. And I would go find that place. And I'm saying that me as an investor. But if I'm the agent going in, I'm going to find that relationship and start setting that up for my clients. So I already know who that person is. Because before it was you come to the agent because you need a roofer or you know a loan or whatever you're going to do. But in this case, we're looking for a bank that's going to be the partner to their investor, right? So their investor is rolling this and, and they're rolling their money and leveraging it to a banking relationship. And then a real estate agent they're like a stockbroker. They make money every time it turns. So when they buy, they make money. When it sells, they make money. And so that's going to be, there's going to be a lot of value in that market. That's awesome. Tell me a little bit about your growth of your, your company. What does it look like? What kind of volume are you guys doing? And what are you expecting through this year? Yeah. So we, we, we broke a, a billion in sales last year. We are, um, I think we're at almost a billion right now, halfway through this year. And we're expecting to hit close to, um, 3 billion. And so, you know, we actually had under average in the beginning of the year, we're over average and we expect it to kind of double because we're adding a hundred plus agents a month. So as they keep adding on and the volume of sales prices are going up. And so we know we had 20 million in commission come through. We're already at, um, sorry, we had 30 million last year. We have 21 million so far through the first six months of this year. So we know that amount of commission came through to our agents. Um, and so, we, you know, we expect that to keep going as sales prices go up. And, and really, we play um, we play a little different uh, style of game that we play chess. We don't play checkers. We're not looking for one-off moves. And I and it, it sounds cliche because you like hear people talk talk about it, and, and and it may even come across that way in this. But um, everything for us is a leverage point of growth, which means we don't want a one for one. If we add one and lose one. We want to be able to add offices. We want to be able to add agents. We actually think the best defense is a good offense. And so if we're up by, you know, at least 100% for this year, we're going to be up 100%, potentially 200%. If we're up when everyone else is checking, right, they keep stopping and they're pausing, they're afraid, then we run a culture that drives production, drives uh, solutions, and it drives um, – you know, volume, 
we're just essentially stealing all the volume of the things that are over there. So as we keep taking down big players, we're taking on that volume and that business and building momentum by giving them support, taking stuff off of them. It allows them to grow and, and keep going. And, you know, our biggest problem is people don't even know we exist. And, you know, and there's so much noise out there. Right. And so so people are stuck in that noise category. But we're getting a huge momentum because it's going over and over and over as we take on new states and new markets. And then agents come in and succeed. The agents are out there watching, you know, because, I, you know, you've been that way. Right. You're at an office. Agent leaves. Go to this new company. You're going to watch and see what they do. And they're going, wow, they're they're doing it. They're doing it. They're doing it. And so we just we want to we know in order to grow 100 percent. We're not going to grow 100%. We need to grow more than 100% in offices and in agent count and in transactions to get that volume to go up, right? And so we want to get, we want to grow way, way larger because even if there's a compression of sorts, we're still sustainable. And the secondary part of this is the real growth that we're going to see is as we roll out mortgage and title. So we've, a lot of these other companies go set them up and they come backwards and go roll out mortgage title. We've done it kind of all along. So they're going and growing with them. But as the offices get to the right level, we plug it in, right? And then they plug in mortgage and title. Well, so now what happens is less transactions, the agents in the office can make three revenue streams, right? Which right. wasn't happening before in some categories because there were other ones where it was a conglomerate from the top that would get involved and they would water it down. And we don't want to do that. We want to open the opportunity. We're setting up with this franchise model, the ability you could go open an office in your territory and then grow and add agents nationwide. You'd be running your own nationwide company because remember, our technology that runs nationwide can run nationwide. So you can run one office, you add a broker, you add an MLS and boom, you're in that you're in that state, right? You open in one, you can cross the whole state because there's a virtual capacity to this. And then you add mortgage and title to it. Now you're running three national companies from that. And everyone will run the play a little differently of, of how they're going to do it. They may add partners in another state. They may run it themselves. They may add payroll and hire someone in another state to kind of grow it or, or do that. And so, so all of this goes on. And that, that's what people don't see. I, I know you can see the picture of the words I'm saying right now transpiring. Of, that's what's going on. And people don't even know it exists. They don't even know there's a platform that you could go and grow and run that. And, you know, even part of what I was saying on this is I'm not trying to control it. They can go and run their office and own their own market. They can run nationwide. I'm just there to support and make sure the stuff is there because I came through this model of things where there was control. It was control. You can't make your sign this way. You can't market this way. You can't do this territory this way. You can't, I, I just, I don't like it. I don't, I, I, I never have liked it. I think my age group coming through here doesn't like that kind of stuff. And they're looking for that ulterior thing for them to do it. And they want to build something. We have all these entrepreneurial people coming through, right? They don't want a job. They want to build something, a business that they can make a revenue from and be able to sell it, right? If, you, if you're doing two things at once, that's a win-win. That, by the way, that's one of my sayings I tell everybody. I like win-wins. Usually you think you win and I win. And I say, if I don't win twice, I don't do it. I remember, that's <laughs> what I saw with chess moves. If I don't win twice. So you hire an agent, so you're going to get a mortgage and a title and a transaction in there, right? So I'm going to win three times. I may win small, but it's small three times, right? That's what I that's what I do on any of my time. Open a mortgage company because then you can do multiple deals. There's all different ways to win multiple times. But anyway, my point of that is if you can build a business and you get all the profit of it and then could sell that business later, that's winning twice. And that's what you're looking for. Otherwise, you're taking one step forward, one step back, and then people get frustrated because of that. And sometimes... It's because they just haven't find the, found the right model. But most of the time, it's because it came in front of them and they just dismissed it and they didn't make a move. 
and they will see a pattern of that in life over and over that they they checked Check when it. they should have bet. All right, so let's talk about the shifting market to kind of wrap up. What okay. what are you seeing as far as the market's shifting? And and you've been through it. You you lived through the other one. Obviously, every shift is different. And the first the first rule of any shift is get real about what's happening. That's right. Get super real about what's actually happening. The shift in two thousand and seven was completely different than the one in the 80s when interest rates were at 17% and everything was crazy. So the first rules get real about what's happening. So what are you guys seeing and how are you hedging against the shift? Yeah. So, you know, going back to what I was talking about earlier is our biggest play on this is offense. And so as we go offensive adding in revenues, we feel like we can build a ship that can kind of protect everybody. There's enough money into the revenue of that franchise or that office for those agents. We can keep buying leads uh, we can keep um, supporting the agents. We can keep doing marketing. So you're going to see shifts in employment. People are going to start letting go. Remember, we were having this big thing and we couldn't find people. You're going to see high level executives terminated. You're going to start seeing it everywhere. Right. And so and sometimes you won't know what it is. You'll think someone will resign, but technically they were let go. And you won't know that. Uh, on, on the on the outside. And, I, and maybe I'm guessing, too. Maybe I'm wrong. Right. So but but you're going to see that you're going to see high levels to cut costs, right? So it's reactive to this, right? And this is defense that people are going to play. You're going to see marketing things start going down. So this is the recession as everything slows down with these pieces that are going on. But like anything, you need to figure out the industry and the market that that shouldn't impact. And it doesn't mean they won't do it in every market, right? So if you were going into a sector in the stock market, you've got finance, you've got uh, cruise lines, you've got airlines, you've got real estate, you know, you've got all these different sectors, right? And so, and there's like, I think 13 main sectors, but anyway, the sectors, some are going to be impacted. You can see it today, this sector's up and this one's down. When the interest rates go up uh, on the market, then you'll see uh, real estates and finance companies drop down, right? And then, and then when they go down, then you'll see those things go back up. But then when they go up, you'll see the, uh, I'm sorry, when they go up, then you'll see the bank's going up, right? And so all of these have a, uh, an indicator that goes back and forth. And so I say all that to say, um, there's a line from Moneyball. You ever seen the movie Moneyball? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was just hey, thinking about that when you were- I, I love it. Yeah, yeah. So he says, if your opponent is making a mistake, don't interrupt them. Don't interrupt them. Let them keep going and firing these executives. Let them fire their recruiters. Let them go stop their marketing. And you know what you got to do? You got to bet. You got to bet. And so for me, because we've gone through this, because I've gone and done the research of all these other things that have gone on, I'm all in. I mean, I'll, I'm going after it. We're going to double down on marketing. We're going to double down on executives. We're going to go after it over and over. We're going to go down on leadership. We're going to go down, double down on vision. We're going to double down on training. We're going to go get every lead source that there is. We're going to move to the mortgage and the title stuff coming in. And we're just going after, we're not slowing down. We're hiring and growing and adding because this industry is going to keep taking off. I mean, that it, if it's set up right in the wrong model, it's, the wrong model is going to keep tankering down and they're going to have to cut bait to stay profitable or those business people are going to have to make a decision. Do I keep these people on out of loyalty and hope it goes back or do I stay in the profit because it's impacting five other people that get paid on that profit, right? Or whatever it is. So there will be pressure on boards and different things like that. So I don't know if that was too high level of, of thought or if that's kind of what you were thinking. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's a good, that money can be made in any market. We know that. Right. 2011, mm-hmm. 2012, a lot of people made a lot of money <clears throat> in the crappiest market that there was because they bought real estate. Yeah, They, they yeah. went and bought real estate. So if you're smart and you 
have the data and you bet on yourself, you can make money in any market regardless of what's going on. There's two more points that if I have a second, do I have a second? Yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, Robert Kiyosaki is a big push for real estate, right? But he's a big push for real estate because of the cash flow side of it. The stock market's taking a tumble because it doesn't cash flow. Crypto's taking a, a beating because it doesn't cash flow, right? Gold's taking a beating because it doesn't, even though it's all gone up, it all went up because of inflationary type stuff, but right. it's settling back down to what it is based on the use because smart money is going to cash flow. If you go buy a property too high, you're still getting the tax write-offs, you're still getting the cash flow. And if it goes up, you, you've got to win. Uh, you know, and, and because it's a fixed asset, fixed assets hedge against inflation, right? Because inflation means a dollar uh, lost value. So it takes more dollars to purchase, right. purchase it. So when they trade them in later, they will trade you more dollars for it. So that's the hedge against it. Um, so, so with all that being said is go get into a cash flow position. That's what every investor is going to do. That's what everyone that's not checking, that's going to bet is going to do. And if I know that because I invest money and I understand psychologically how my brain process what to do. I know that's how they're going to operate, especially if they're educated. If you start educating people to, hey, real estate safe. Now they're going to say, I'm not going to listen to you. You're in real estate. It's in your best interest. And I go, okay, fine. I'll buy it. All right, fine. I'll buy it. All right. I'll go get the money from the bank and I'll keep buying it. And I'll go, you keep checking. What else are you going to do? You keep your money there. It's going to lose value on inflation. If you if you go by the stock, it's, it's going to flutter. Or, or maybe not do anything, right? And so, so anyway, all that to be said is if, if we know that, then we know these interest rates aren't going to be enough impact because if rents, because this is the new news you're going to hear, rents are going to start doubling up. This is all the same thing that happened in 2000, 2001 area. So when the prices of homes go up, then the rents are going to go up. The interest rates are relevant in some cases because if it cash flow, it has a purchase price to a rent amount. It's a business. You're buying a business, right? And right. so- so anyway, all of that, plus the LIBOR side of things, people are going to say, I need a house and I'd rather buy it and get a LIBOR and refi later than to pay rent and keep losing money over and over again. Right. So, so 100%. there's a lot of different reasons that that's why our industry is going to still do well. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm missing something completely, but I'm the type that spends time in peace and quiet and thinking and processing through all this. Cause I mean, I ain't going all in. I, I don't like to lose. I already lost and, and went and went broke twice. I ain't, that's not happening again. Right? So so we're going to be smart about it this time. Yeah. yeah. And, and real estate, honestly, is always a long-term play. The only people that are going to lose in real estate in, in the short term is if they are forced, they just bought a house and they're forced to sell it within two to three months. You may lose in that scenario. Yeah. yeah, it, yeah. But it, the, everybody else in the world, they're fine. They're fine. If it's, if it's a couple year play, it's fine. People who bought in 2007 and sold in 2015 made money, even though they lived through the value of their house being terrible in 11 and 12. It may be less than what they bought it for in seven, but they held on to it and they're fine. Right. You know, and, and the big play for anybody that's watching this has got to be, they can't be scared to go get this information. Again, there's more than enough information. They have to educate the buyer because the buyer's checking. They're hitting check. They're not willing to bet. Well, if they don't bet, you can't you can't win. There's no trade. You only make money when money trades hands. And if it never trades hands because they're scared or whatever it yep. is, then, then you're going to lose. So you've got to be able to do it. And it's somewhat sales. So you're going to see the good salespeople are going to kind of rise to the top really, really well here. While the other ones go, well, I don't want to be pushy and I don't want to. They have to change their mindset. If those people don't buy this house now and these prices keep going up um, and, and then interest rates go up, because if interest rates go up, they can't buy a house for low enough 
quick enough, if that makes sense. Meaning they'll still buy a higher interest rate for a small fractional amount later. They're technically going to lose, but it's not that they're going to lose that they bought a 200 at 180 at um, difference. It's going to be that they bought a 200 at 8% instead of 5%. And so right. that 3% is going to cost them way more over then. Yeah. So they got to get a mortgage calculator, really run through those numbers and go, I'd rather you miss 20 grand of equity by overpaying 20 grand to lock in interest rates. Because then yeah. what you're going to see later will be an assumption. They'll start passing out or assuming or land contract stuff, which is fine. You can get out of it because the payment is what will really matter at some point. So locking in low interest rate is going to be the key. And while they're waiting for it to go down and go down, it doesn't matter if the interest rate keeps on going up. And I think we're going to have a little blip in interest rate drops too. So you'll see it kind of come back down and then go back up, I think. But who knows? Nobody knows. But Nobody see. knows. And, and in all honesty, it's all relative. I mean, yeah. I think I said before I bought a house in 2000 and, or 1999 and my interest rate was like eight and a quarter. Yeah, I did that too. And I sold it four years later and made a hundred thousand dollars on it. And I could care less that I was paying eight and a quarter percent. Right. It didn't right. really matter mm-hmm. at all. I still made money on the house. I did. I did that same thing, but then I refinanced down when it went down to like 6%. I, I refinanced it down and kept it. And now it just cash flows and he pulled a line of credit on it. You, you was, so that's a key. I will add that for, for those other people is if you, if you keep a property, you can depreciate it over 27 and a half years in an investment property. Um, if you sell it, you don't have that depreciation anymore. So if it goes up in value, you pull the line of credit off of it, that interest is now tax deductible. So if you sold it to get that hundred grand out, you take the money in and now you pay capital gains, right? And everybody's got different situations of why they need to do what they need to do. But if they had a choice, they get that hundred grand, go get the equity line and then borrow the money against it instead of selling it. Cause now you still have to do something with the money. And if you don't need the money, pay the equity line back down. Right. And now you're just parking money there while it's there and rent's coming in, right? So so it's a play, not just for people that are in our industry, but as they coach and help other people. So I'm trying to give some value to, to how people can utilize this stuff in, in this market with everything's up. It, equity lines is going to be all the craze right now. So Okay. So it, uh, let's wrap up with that. Where should they go if they, if they are interested, if people have investors or they have clients who are interested in maybe selling to upgrade, what advice could they give those clients? Where could they go to get information on having those clients hold the house, pull out an equity line of credit to buy a new house? Who would they talk to? Where, where should these agents? Yeah, get? well, it's funny. I'm actually investing in a company that's going to come out. It's going to be called Nifty Door, but it, it'll make it where they can go on and do that. It's not ready yet, but I'm just telling you that, that you're going to see a lot of these pop up, but almost any bank will do the lines of credit to do that. Again, it should be based on a relationship every individual who owns a property kind of has a relationship with whoever they are. So I'm just trying to think nationwide. I don't know that there's necessarily one specific place to go, but if I'm coaching a client and they, they have the ability, right? So what I would do is take them to a, uh, whoever they'd be financing with to do the new purchase and figure out what are they qualify? Can they qualify with that house as it is? And then they say, Oh, we need 20 grand down. Then we'll go get the line of credit and say, okay, we'll pull 25 of a line of credit to cover the reserves and then use that money to put down. And then they just look at the number because if that rent skyrockets and that that's what I think everyone doesn't fully understand yet is rents are through the roof. I, and I know people think, oh, rents are up and you're seeing that. But until you actually say, oh, I'm going to go buy another house and rent mine out, I'm going to rent it at 1200 well, everything else is running at 1800 for your same right. exact house. And you didn't think that. You thought, oh, I thought I was doing good at 1000 to get 1200 No, you're getting 1800 
for that house that should have been a thousand. And so, so that is, that's the eye opening part that that advice can actually say that maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this house, whatever, you know, somebody's going to have a house that that doesn't actually apply to, but, but in, in their general sense, that's what we've seen. And what they, you got how much for rent, how much for rent? Well, that's somebody going and working a job, making money, paying taxes on it to pay you that you can make tax free with the depreciation against your property and the interest rate. So they're going to pay it all for you, which I know, you know, all this, so it's real estate side of it, but it's really coaching the clients to this so that they understand because the better our clients win from again, making the right decisions. It's all about decisions, right? If they make the right decisions and you feel confident telling them that, then, then they're going to win and you're going to have a big database. You'll be able to turn around, look behind you and see the business you built based on the decisions you made. I love that. That's awesome. Well, thanks for being here today. Great information, great topics, and we will look forward to hearing from you again soon. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every penny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate. How to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.